folks. Welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Hey, folks, welcome back to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Broadcasting Network. It's time once again for Indaba Africa News of the Day, covering Africa and parts of the world that may or may not be of interest to you. <laughs> welcome back. Today is June the 9th, 2021. And we're going to get right into the news here in just a moment, but uh, we need to let people know that an awful lot of South Africans currently have no electricity, courtesy of the failed peristatal ESCOM, despite the fact that it has an amazing chief executive officer trying to turn that operation around. It's still a disaster. It will take several years to undo the mess that the African National Congress has wrought on South Africa. Meantime, people are suffering. And what does this lead to? Riots, ladies and gentlemen. In Peter Maritzburg on Tuesday, the 8th of June, starting around 2008 p.m., People started protesting, burning tires and causing damage in the city of Peter Maritzburg in KwaZulu-Natal. This began around 8 p.m. last night and is over the whole load shedding issue. People's refrigerators are off, their power's off, their food is spoiling, and they're not happy about it, wasting money and resources. Well, things are so bad in South Africa, ladies and gentlemen, that news sources are now reporting grave robbing going on in South Africa. What? Grave robbing? Things are that bad? Or are people just that disrespectful for the sanctity of human life? Possibly a combination of the two. Speaking of ESCOM, ESCOM's Chief Executive Officer, Andre de Reuter, has actually reduced ESCOM's debt, something that no one else has done since the ANC took over. He's managed to lower ESCOM's debt by 90 billion rand in the past 18 months. Shocking improvement in their balance sheet, lowering it to approximately 400 billion of debt from nearly 500 billion. But the question remains, was that because of revenue or cleaning up, or was it because of handouts from the state? We'll have to take a closer look at that. The Unemployment Insurance Fund Commissioner in South Africa, Buitemelo Molloy, has had his suspension lifted. He was suspended months ago over concerns of theft and corruption related to the pandemic. His suspension has been lifted for now. Good news for South Africa, but not great news. South Africa's gross domestic product grew at an annualized rate of 4.6% in the first quarter of 2021. Sadly for South Africa, before the pandemic, South Africa needed to achieve 6 to 8% annual GDP growth just to make progress to reduce the backlog of unemployment and reduce wealth disparity. With the catastrophic collapse in South Africa's economy entirely attributable to the ANC's feckless and moronic response to the pandemic, in which they banned open-toed shoes, cooked chicken sales, e-commerce, all the things that actually have little to no impact on what they were trying to accomplish. It simply destroyed South African business. South Africa shed about $30 billion of GDP in 2020. In order to get that GDP back, to get back to the level that the country was at in 2019, it's going to take a lot more than 4.6% annualized growth to get that back, let alone take care of the backlog. As I pointed out on my program yesterday, over half the population of South Africa lives on public assistance. That's disgraceful. That's the legacy of the African National Congress, three decades into its governance. But we should feel badly, folks, because you see, President Sir Ramaphosa has told us that South Africa's poor, starving, and struggling members of parliament need a raise. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Can you believe the cheek of these disconnected ANC elites who have no connection whatsoever to South Africans of any background or income level. They are completely delusional. Electric cars are using less cobalt these days, and that's bad news for the DRC. The DRC is the country that applies, supplies 60% of the world's cobalt, and that's bad news for them. Electric cars relying less and less on cobalt as electric car manufacturers find other materials 
to achieve their goals. Not good news for the DRC. Chinese miners, two Chinese miners have been kidnapped in Niger. Not usually a good outcome to that. I hope for the best for these Chinese miners who've been kidnapped in Niger. In Liberia's rice woes, what's Liberia's beef with rice? We'll talk about that. Catholic bishops in Ghana plan to plant one million trees in Ghana this year. And Kenya is pushing Ethiopia to open up its mobile money market, a mobile payment system, similar to the M-Pesa system pioneered by Safari.com uh, and others in East Africa. They're pushing Ethiopia to open up this mobile payments market to lead to economic growth in the region. The United Nations warns that Ethiopia's war in the Tigray region of Ethiopia could result in hundreds of thousands of fatalities. Hundreds of thousands. Already thousands have occurred. And Eritrea blames President Joe Biden for Ethiopia's war in Tigray. Not making this up, folks. Not fake news. You have to read it or see it to believe it. Eritrea blames Joe Biden for a war that started before Biden was even president. It's never that I defend the current sitting president, but this is obviously an occasion in which facts must simply be put on the table, even if it defends Joe Biden. The World Bank has come out opposed to the concept of an intellectual property waiver for vaccines related to the pandemic, and I support them in their position. It's a foolhardy decision, which will be exploited and will undermine the entire global economic system. It will be the death of entrepreneurialism. It will be the death of exploratory efforts to develop new drugs because people won't bother to do it. And Fastly, the cloud service provider that caused major outages around the world yesterday, affecting even the United Kingdom's UK.gov site, as well as the BBC, The Guardian, CNN, endless number of websites were affected in services yesterday for at least an hour. Fastly blames the problem on a bug. The USA Today distorts Senator Joe Manchin's position on the HR1 bill that went to the Senate, distorting the argument and giving the impression to the sheep, the uninformed, the easily swayed, that Joe Manchin is opposed to dem democracy and the right to vote, when actually he's trying to preserve it. And Juno spacecraft sends back a stunning image of the moon Ganymede. Looking forward to that. Those are the headlines today, the 9th of June, 2021. Folks, let's get right to the in-depth news and analysis. Here we go. As I mentioned, protests in the Central Business District of Peter Maritzburg took place last night, continued into today, burning uh, all sorts of problems there. Peter Maritzburg Central Business District is a no-go area due to ongoing protests. This was published about six hours ago. There's an image from last night from East Street in Peter Maritzburg where protesters were burning tires. Motorists were urged to keep away from East Street where protesters are burning tires and other debris. The protest started at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night, the intersection of East and Bag Streets, and then moved to the intersection of East and Church Streets. One of the protesters, Nwambiza Zia, said she'd been without electricity for the past seven days. I'm hungry. I can't cook. I'm using money to buy bread and cold drink because I have to take medicine for HIV and TB. I work. I use my money to pay for rent and electricity, but my fridge is not working and I have to throw food away. And here's the light of day. You can see the burnt tires and damage there in Peter Maritzburg. Her comments were echoed by another protester who asked her, made anonymous, she said, I started protesting at eight last night. I'm asking for electricity from municipality. I understand the two hours load shedding from municipality, but I don't understand why we have no electricity for seven days. I'll carry on protesting until the power comes back on. DA ward counselor, Suraya Reddy said residents from the hostel on East Street were also protesting after electricity was disconnected. Well, I, I gotta help you out here. Uh, I appreciate your concern there in Peter Maritzburg, but the municipality isn't the person or the organization that delivers electricity to you. It's ESCOM. It's ESCOM, and they're the ones failing. So your anger should be directed at ESCOM. It should be directed at the African National Congress. That's where your ire should be with the African National Congress who have undermined South Africa's productivity, its economy, and its future prospects with their criminal negligence at ESCOM. 
before they brought Andre de Reuter on. There's your problem. 25, nearly 25% of South Africa's installed electrical capacity or of 52,000 megawatts of power, nearly 25% is currently offline. One quarter of their installed capacity they can't use. Not for scheduled maintenance that you take it down to repair things, but because they just have screwed the pooch on this. So I appreciate the protest in Peter Maritzburg, but you should be in front of Lutuli House or the ANC local headquarters or demanding from your ANC members of the provincial legislature in KZN why there's no power. I empathize with these people. This lady has HIV and tuberculosis and has to keep her medication refrigerated. Yeah, this is, this, this, see, this incompetence costs people's lives. I've said this over and over and over. And that's an update on the situation in Peter Maritzburg. Another bizarre situation in Peter Maritzburg, thieves, grave robbing? What? According to the witness, thieves vandalized graves in Peter Maritzburg Cemetery. Makosi Marikina was shocked to discover her late husband's grave vandalized and the top slab had been stolen. Peter Maritzburg woman was left devastated when she discovered her late husband's grave in Mountain Rise Cemetery had been vandalized. Miss Marikina, who's 68, a fair maid, and her family visited uh, the city-owned and run cemetery. The last thing expected to find was the top of the grave missing. She said the theft triggered feelings of loss as though her husband who died in 2005 had just died recently. The disrespect, the, the, the lack of respect for human life and for people. Yes, I realize this person's dead, but he has survivors and they respect the person and go to pay homage and visit the grave. And you disrespect them by doing such things. Who's stealing the marble from the top of the grave? What is that all about? And did they actually rob the grave or just grave the gravestone, which was paid for by these people? Just horrific. Well, Andre de Reuter, speaking of ESCOM, has done something that ESCOM CEOs have been unable to accomplish. Instead of increasing the debt load, he's actually reduced ESCOM's debt load, taking the burden away from the taxpayer. How he did it, we'll have to take a look at that. Andre de Reuter has achieved something no other ESCOM over the past 15 years could do. He reduced debt. ESCOM's debt and securities and borrowings had increased from $30 billion in 2005 to $488 billion by March of 2020 when he came on board. The rapid escalation of debt was a result of gross mismanagement, corruption, and poor procurement processes at the power utility. The overspending at Madupi and Kusile power plants combined with load shedding because of delays have become such a problem that Goldman Sachs described ESCOM as the biggest threat to South African economy. Ouch. Less than 18 months after he took the helm at ESCOM, he reported that debt has been reduced by over $90 billion from $496 billion to just $401 billion rand. Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordhan, oh, that guy who's clueless, says this significant reduction is achieved by repaying maturing debt and changes in the exchange rate. Well, whether it's been done by sleight of hand or it's been done by sheer magic and just happenstance, it's the first time in nearly two decades that ESCOM has not increased its debt load but actually reduced it. Whatever the justification or the cause of it, that's a good sign. But there are no miracles here at ESCOM. It is an abject dumpster fire. It is a complete disaster. And Andre Reuter has a Herculean task, not the least of which is complicated by corrupt members of his own corporation who fraudulently claim he's a racist because they won't divert, he won't divert money to their buddies. And then an investigation has to be done because anytime you call a white person a racist in South Africa, well, it's real. It's genuine. We must devote the entire intelligence community to it. What a bunch of nonsense. It's so obvious to anybody looking at the situation that the criminal who made the accusation is diverting attention away from his misdeeds. Well, good news for the Unemployment Insurance Funds Commissioner who's had his suspension lifted. Deputy Minister Boitoma Mulolo confirms lifting of his suspension, but says he's now reporting to the Director General's office. Employment Labor Deputy Minister Boitomelo Moli told Parliament Tuesday that despite the lifting of suspension, the Commissioner is yet to officially report for duty 
for in his position. Yes, we have officials who are back, but the commissioner is not yet back at the fund, but he reports to the office of the director general. The UIF boss was placed on suspension last year after irregularities were uncovered in the disbursement of pandemic temporary employer employee relief scheme, the TERS program. Perhaps not complicit in corruption. That's a nice change of pace. As I mentioned, South Africa's economy is growing in the first quarter an annualized rate of 4.6%. That's at least 3 to 4 to 5 to 6% less than it needs to be to recover from this disaster, ANC management of the pandemic. 4.6%. But don't get excited, according to Ed Stoddard of the Business Maverick. Grew at a seasonally adjusted annualized quarter-on-quarter rate of 4.6% in the first quarter. The mining sector did much of the heavy lifting as output rose 18%. But mining alone won't extract this economy from the depths. Finance, real estate, and business services grew 7.4%, contributed 1.5% percentage points to the growth of the tally. The broad finance sector accounts for 20% of GDP, while mining share is 9%. So, Good news for South Africa, but not great news, folks. Oh, and while we're talking about tragic situations, let's let's focus. And we've just we've just heard about a woman in Peter Maritzburg who is HIV positive and has tuberculosis and takes medication for that and has not had electricity for seven days. While we listen to her plight, let's listen to the agonizing and painful situation that members of parliament are suffering as South Africans who have no income, who have no jobs, or those who have jobs like this lady and work their heart out don't get basic services because of the incompetence and corruption of the African National Congress. But President Sir Ramaphosa says that the members of parliament are suffering. They're starving. They're hungry. They're not paid enough. Can you believe the cheek of these jackasses, these disconnected, totally out of touch with reality in South Africa? These people are living on Mars. This is like that BBC show, Life on Mars. They all must be in a coma and dreaming about a life somewhere else that no one in South Africa is experiencing except these elites. Editorial from the Financial Mail. The myth of SA's poor MPs. You might think a considerable risk during election year, but President Sir Ramaphosa had no qualms telegraphing just how severely his party, the ANC, has entirely detached itself from the lives of the people he expects to vote for it. Ramaphosa bemoaned how MPs were struggling to make ends meet, adding that many of them were cut to the bone because they had no meaningful increase for quite... No increase! You doofus! Millions of South Africans have no jobs. Over 3 million lost their jobs because of your actions, because of the National Coronavirus Command Council's stupid, moronic, unscientific decisions. Criminalizing nearly a quarter million law-abiding South Africans. It was a startling statement in its emotional obtusiveness, but it nevertheless provided revealing insight into the Marie Antoinette style of self-interest, which has polluted the governing party. The fact is, MP salaries are many multiples of the average salary in South Africa. As I have reported over and over and over again on my program. National Assembly Speaker Tandi Modisi and National Council Provincial Chair Amos Masondo each get 2.8 million rand. Committee chairs get 1.49 million rand and normal members of the Assembly get over a million rand. But that's at the end of it. They get other benefits like free flights, accommodation, food in parliament, phones, laptops, advertising budgets, blue car escorts. The list is endless. The University of Cape Town's Southern African Labor and Development Research Unit, Saul Drew, puts every MP firmly in the top 1% of earners in a country where 90% of the people in the household have an income of less than 7,500 rand per month. This is the African National Congress, folks. It's simply our turn to eat. They don't know who you are. If you are a... Basutu living in the free state, if you are a Tswana living in Northwest, if you are a Venda in Pumalanga, if you are a Zulu in KZN or Kosa in Eastern Cape, or a Griqua in Kimberley, a Colored in Cape Town, an Afrikaner anywhere in the country, an English speaker anywhere in the country, or a San or Koi, they don't know who you are. They don't care who you are. You only matter to the ANC. 
if they can get something from you or if you are a cadre in their party. Stop voting for these jackals. My goodness. For those unclear, that was opinion and editorial. I was editorializing and opining. While the Democratic Republic of Congo may have to look for another place to make some money because cobalt sales are going to decline because electric car manufacturers are moving away from them. This from according to Eric Olander from the China Africa Project, who's talking about the declining demand for cobalt, which would affect the DRC. 60% of the world's supply comes from the DRC. Bad news. The world's leading automakers are making much faster progress than anticipated moving away from electric vehicle batteries that contain cobalt. Volkswagen, Tesla, and the Chinese giant BYD have all either developed new cobalt-free batteries or in the late-stage development. Potentially very bad news for the DRC, home to approximately 60% of the world's known cobalt reserves. DRC is failing to do much to capitalize on the extraction of the strategic mineral given that the bulk of its mining operations are controlled by foreign, predominantly Chinese companies. Well, they want to stop using it because of the cost also not the best material to use as far cost is, and China is moving away from it. Also, there's concerns about child labor being used in the extraction of cobalt in the DRC, and car manufacturers don't want to be associated with child labor. Chinese miners kidnapped in Niger in the Sahelian country of West Africa. Two Chinese miners were abducted near the border with Mali and Burkina Faso. China, which is mining uranium, gold, and oil in the country, <laughs> you're not mining gold or oil, you, you, you pump for oil. They've expanded their operations right after. Two Chinese nationals working for a Chinese mining company in the west of Niger were abducted by armed men late Saturday night. The men had a permit to search for gold and they refused to go home after receiving prior warnings from armed groups in the area. We don't know who's behind the kidnapping to this point, but frequently these kidnappings take place in this region for money, sort of like Latin America. It's a shakedown for money, but sometimes it's by jihadists to intend to execute people. So we have no idea what's going to happen to these Chinese nationals. I'm sure there's great concern. And I suspect that the FAN, the Force Armée Nigerienne, along with the Gendarmerie and the police in Niger are doing all that they can to try to locate these Chinese nationals. Liberia has an issue with rice. Well, let me tell you what Liberia's issue with rice is before I tell you about this story. Liberia's issue with rice is that Liberians are too lazy to grow rice. Yeah, that's right. I said it. I lived in Liberia. Liberia, you could grow rice in much of the country. But Liberians don't want to grow it because the rice predominantly grown in Liberia is what's called butter rice. They want parboiled rice. Parboiled rice is not grown in Liberia for the most part. It's grown elsewhere and imported. So instead of producing their own rice, Liberians import a staple that's a key part of everyone's diet there. And they're concerned about that importation. More than 42 years after the 1979 rice riots that brought the Tobruk governments to its knees, rice importers are launching an appeal to the current government to permit an increment on the price of rice due to the rising cost of importation. The Rice Import Association of Liberia said the increase in price of rice is necessary due to worldwide increment in freight and rapidly rising increase in fees for services at the National Port Authority. So the government's part of the problem. The government has increased their prices, which is forcing the rice suppliers to increase it. The call for the increase comes to come three years into the way led government's reign. In February 2018, meetings with importers way secured agreement with importers for the price of rice to be reduced two to four dollars. Prior to the reduction, the price of rice was $16 for 25 kilo bag. Since February 2018, rice price has been $13. That's dramatically lower than when I lived in Liberia, folks. The price when I lived in Liberia was $18 for a 50 kilo bag, and it rose to $63 US for a 50 kilo bag by the time I left. Very big difference. Ghanaian Catholic bishops are talking about planting 1 million trees this year. Ghana's Catholic bishops to plant 1 million trees in 2021. The Ghana Catholic Bishop Conference has announced plans to spearhead the planting of more than 1 million trees this year as part of the response to the seven-year Laudato Si Action platform announced by Pope Francis, the Argentinian. 
The bishops in Ghana committed themselves to ensure that one man trees be planted by the church during this year's rainy season. Kenya, their, Kenya's president, is urging Ethiopia to open its mobile payments market for its mobile network, which is now expanding with the contract awarded to the likes of Safaricom and Vodacom and others who are part of a consortium that won the rights the license spectrum in Ethiopia to compete with the government provider. President Kenyatta on Tuesday urged Ethiopia to open up its telecoms sector to private mobile money business investors, a move that would complement a process already underway to reform the sector and bring in foreign investment. Opening up its telecom sector, uh, up until now, a monopoly of the state-owned ETO Telecom, and last month, authorities awarded the first private operator license. As I mentioned, license was handed out to consortium led by Kenya's Safaricom, Vodafone, and Japan's Sumitomo. But they do not allow mobile payments. This would be a groundbreaker and it would be quite a boon for consumers in Ethiopia. The United Nations is warning that Ethiopia's war in Tigray could cost hundreds of thousands of lives. Parts of northern Ethiopia's war-torn Tigray region are on the brink of famine, the head of the United Nations said on Monday. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez was the senior, most senior voice in a unified warning cry from a range of UN agencies that the grinding conflict remained unchecked with a devastating impact on civilians. The magnitude and gravity of child rights violations taking place across Tigray show no sign of abating nearly seven months since fighting broke out in northern Ethiopia. More than 6,000 unaccompanied or separated children have been identified as needing protection and assistance. Much of the region has remained inaccessible to humanitarian workers, meaning health care, food, and other supplies haven't gotten in since fighting broke out in November of 2020 20 between Ethiopian forces and ethnic Tigrayan separatists in the region. This conflict in Tigray is going largely unnoticed by the world, but not by Eritrea. Eritrea blames the conflict in Ethiopia on Joe Biden. <laughs> Seriously? Uh, let's unpack this story, folks. I, I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh because it's just comical. Eritrea blames U.S. for destabilization in Ethiopia's Tigray. Eritrea's foreign minister accuses the Biden administration of stoking further conflict and destabilization in Ethiopia's north. He blamed the U.S. administrations to support Tigray people's liberation movement for the past 20 years for the current conflict, adding that blaming Eritrea for the fighting was unfounded. In a letter to the United Nations Security Council, Osman Saleh accused President Biden's administration of stoking further conflict and destabilization through interference and intimidation in the region, apparently to resuscitate the remnants of the TPLF regime. This is just utter nonsense. They ruled Ethiopia for nearly 30 years until Prime Minister Abe rose to power in 2018. Saleh also criticized the Department of State's recent announcement on visa restrictions for current or former Eritrean, Ethiopian government, and military officials, saying it was only the latest in the string of unilateral acts of intimidation and interference. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So Ethiopia commits atrocities in Tigray, and because the United States has the audacity to mention and point out these criminal acts and war crimes, the United States is somehow supporting the Eritreans. Uh, this is, or not Eritreans, the uh, Tigrayans. This is ludicrous on the face of it, and just shows you the propaganda wars never end when it comes to international politics. The World Bank is opposed to easing up on intellectual property rights when it comes to vaccination. India, South Africa, and other emerging market countries argue the step is needed to expand access. But see, that's not just a lie. India doesn't expand expand access. India has been producing vaccination under license since it was available. In fact, they shipped it all over the world and they had none left. South Africa's incompetence and its incompetent pharmaceutical market is still sitting here nearly eight months after the first vaccines were delivered, not producing vaccine. Why is that? They can produce under license. But why don't they? Because they're cheap bastards and they want to steal it. They don't want to produce it and sell it. 
They want to steal it and get it cheap. World Bank President David Malpas said on Tuesday, the bank does not support waiving intellectual property rights for vaccines of the World Trade Organization out of concern that would hamper innovation in the pharmaceutical sector. Exactly what I predicted. His comments on the subject made during a call with reporters came as World Trade Organization negotiators over the proposed waiver resumed in Geneva. Asked whether he backs the WTO vaccine IP waiver, which India NSA and other markets, emerging market countries argue is needed to expand. Malpa said, we don't support that for the reason that it would run the risk of reducing the innovation in R&D in that sector. Aspen Pharmaceutical can't produce the vaccine now if they weren't incompetent, just under license, which means they have to pay licensing fees. But since we have given South Africa, the world, 5.6 billion US dollars, 90 billion rand to purchase materiel and goods and to help their economy during the pandemic, they should have plenty of money to buy all of the vaccine that Aspen Pharmaceutical could produce, if only it desired to do it instead of trying to get it illicitly. Fastly, the cloud service provider is blaming a bug for the lack of internet service yesterday, which knocked out major websites around the planet, including the United Kingdom's UK, gov.uk site. <laughs> more confidence, more speed, more power at the edge, and no internet. <laughs> That's the Fastly site. There you go. Uh, fastly, the company hit by a major outage that caused many of the world's top websites to go offline briefly this week. Blame the problem on a software bug that was triggered when a customer changed the setting. So a customer changed the setting and knocked the entire world offline. Wow, that instills a lot of confidence in people who are caring about the internet. Are you serious? The problem at Fastly meant internet users couldn't connect to a host of popular websites, including the New York Times, The Guardian, Twitch, Reddit, and the British government's homepage. We experienced a global outage due to an undiscovered software bug that surfaced on June 8th when it was triggered by a valid customer's configuration change. <laughs> the outage was broad and severe, but the company quickly identified, isolated, and disabled the problem. And after 49 minutes, most of its network was up and running again. Well, let's hope that nobody's respirator stopped in those 49 minutes and <laughs> nobody's, nobody's flight navigation system was affected by their outage. The USA Today has an article, an opinion piece by Jason Sattler in which they propagandize Senator Joe Manchin's position on House of Representatives Bill HR1 that's gone to the Senate. This is an act which would eviscerate this republic and its democracy and is unconstitutional, violating the very constitution it claims to be defending and denying people rights by diluting the power of their vote not increasing the value of democracy. Senator Manchin has indicated he will vote against it as the lone Democrat to actually understand the law in this country and do the right thing. For that, he is a target of the USA Today and their smear. Joe Manchin says the right to vote is fundamental. Yes, it is. So why is he trying to protect it? Why isn't he trying to protect it? Well, he is trying to protect it. Manchin once supported the For the Act, People Act. I don't know why he did that. Now he's against it and defending Republicans instead of his fellow Democrats and access to the ballot. Actually, Jason Sattler... Senator Manchin's not defending Republicans. He's defending the Republic. I realize the spelling is different and perhaps it's a little complicated for you there, Mr. Sattler, but Republicans are not the Republic and Americans are not the government. Senator Manchin is finally doing the right thing for America and Americans. And you just don't like it. So you'll propagandize and tell fairy tales about it. One of the sad truths of American politics is Democrats need Senator Manchin more than he needs the Democratic Party. And his apples, and this applies even more to the little democracy. Manchin apparently can take it or leave it. As of now, he's leaving it to Republicans who seem to have given up on a majority rule about the time they realized older white voters no longer in the majority. Ah, ah, I see. Jason Sattler's a racist. Is that what he's saying? He's a race merchant. 
Look at that. Older white voters. You are so deluded. You people have no idea who's in the Republican Party. My goodness. Constant turning to race and distorting things. So this is just garbage. I'm not going to read any more of it because it doesn't deserve the light of day. Just keep in mind that the fascist, leftist, fake stream, lame stream media is seeking to undermine Senator Manchin to put pressure on him to cave to pass legislation that undermines the very republic that we're in. Ask yourself why they do this. Ask yourself why. Senator Manchin is a target. And finally, the last item on today's news from Daba African News of the Day for the 9th of June, 2021, is dramatic photograph by the Juno spacecraft of Ganymede. Yeah, Jupiter's moon Ganymede. Let's check this out, folks. See the dramatic first images of NASA's Juno spacecraft as it sailed by the icy orb Ganymede. Look at that. This image of Ganymede was obtained by the Juno Cam imager during Juno's June 7th flyby of the icy moon. Look at, I see a bunch of trails on there. Are there, are there? Ganymedians driving around on the surface. Look at that. Look at all those lines on there. Huh. There's a new conspiracy theory. Ganymede is inhabited. <laughs> or it's visited by other people in the solar system. You can see a lot of impacts on that moon. Spacecraft flew closer to Jupiter's largest moon than any other in more than two decades, offering dramatic glimpses of the icy orb. The first two images of NASA's Juno on June 7th, flyby of Jupiter's giant moon Ganymede had been received on Earth. The photos, one from the Jupiter's orbiter Juno, Juno cam, and the other from its stellar reference unit star camera show the surface in remarkable detail, including craters, clearly distinct, dark and bright terrain, and long structural features possibly linked to tectonic faults. No, they're trails from off-road 4x4 vehicles driven by aliens. Using its green filter spacecraft's Juno cam, visible light imager captured almost an entire side of the ice, the water ice-encrusted moon. Later, when versions of the same image came down, incorporating the camera's red and blue filters, imaging experts would be able to provide a color portrait of Ganymede, a resolution about one kilometer per pixel. Look at that. This is the image of the dark side was obtained on June 7th as well. Look at those trails. There you go, folks. That is Ganymede in all its glory. That that image right there, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that puppy and we're gonna use that as a live stream image. That is amazing. Look at Ganymede. You gotta love astronomy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the news for today, the 9th of June, 2021. Thanks for tuning in. We'll uh, look forward to seeing you again. I apologize for the early news today. I had to broadcast early because I'll be conducting interviews for uh, coaches and players for Rugby ATL, the Atlanta-based Major League Rugby franchise, starting at 1130 this morning. So I'll be tied up with that. And then I would not be able to do the normal sort of news. So thank you for tuning in today for an early stream for Indaba African News of the Day.